Good morning. Uh, it's good to see everybody from this vantage point. Uh, guys look very interesting from this vantage point sitting out there in the audience. Um, today we're going to continue in uh, Colossians and I have chapter 3 and I'm following up behind uh, Pastor Rod with verses 12 through 17 which uh, Travis has already read to us. And even before I get started I just want to mention that uh, for those of you who may or may not know, Miss Alfreda, Mr. Leroy uh, Williams, um, they're in our community group, and his, uh, Mr. Leroy's oldest sister had a uh, stroke last Sunday when they were on the way to church, and um, she passed this morning, actually, when, when I was on the way to church as well, so she texted me that, so if we could just be in prayer um, for them, and honestly, they, if they need anything, you could probably reach out to me or Caroline since they go to our group. Um, but yeah, let's just be in prayer for them, um, which kind of dovetails in my message because we've been going through the book of Colossians and uh, we've been looking at, and, and Pastor Rod um, in particular, I wasn't here last Sunday, but I had a chance to listen to his message last week when I was at work. And one of the things that he talked about last week was us putting to death our old selves and living this new life, this Christian life out amongst each other, right? And so when you look at the verses that I'm starting with, uh, if you had to kind of put them together and summarize them, it, it's dealing with how should we live with one another? Not the world, but the church, amen? How should we commune? How should we live? How should we treat each other? Uh, and that's a very important thing whether we realize it or not, but when you go through all of the things that Paul says here, um, as we get to how we treat each other, he starts off by saying, as God chosen ones, right? So he, if, you, if you look at how he's been talking to us, he's always pointing back to how we got here. Amen. How do we get here? How do we become the church? How do we become this people that wake up on Sunday mornings and come to this building or meet on your various uh, nights for community group? How do we become these people? He points us back to the Father. And here in particular, as he starts off, he's, he's almost saying, I'm going to give them an even greater emphasis. And in some versions, when verse 12 starts, it says, therefore, right? So the therefore, when I first got saved, someone told me very simplistically, and you probably heard it, what is it therefore, therefore, right? Because of all the things that preceded these verses, we should live like this with one another. And starting off, because you're God's chosen ones, and the Bible says that God chose us in love, nothing to do with ourselves, right? When God chose us, it had nothing to do with where we were from, who we were, our gender, our race, how good we had been prior to conversion, how bad we were, nothing had anything to do with you. Nothing. You could not add to it. You could not entice God to choose me. He chose us in love. And out of that, we should behave a certain way towards each other. And so as I started contemplating how I was going to preach and talk about this message, um, I, I went through several iterations, uh, and 
initially I was saying, okay, well, let's talk about how to put on compassionate hearts, uh, how to be kind, how to have humility, meekness, and patience. And by the way, when you read those attributes, who does that sound like? It sounds like our Christ, right? He, he had a compassionate heart. He was kind. He had humility. He had meekness. He had patience. That sounds exactly like Christ, who we're told to emulate. Um, but I could talk about, hey, I'm going to teach you how to bear with one another, how to forgive um, one another, um, and how to put on love. And, and I can tell you to put on love, and, I can, and someone else could tell you to put on love and to bear with one another and to forgive one another, but that may not be easy for you to do. It may be difficult. Amen? It may be difficult for you to forgive. And I'm not talking about the world because this particular passage is specifically dealing with the church. But some of these things may be difficult. But nonetheless, this is what we're commanded to do. This is not a passage of scripture that we can say, okay, we're in Colossians. Um, God, you want me to bear with one another. You want me to forgive. You want me to operate in with a compassion, heart, kindness, and humility. You know what? I'm not really good at those things. I'm not going to do anything, you know, against it. I'm not going to purposely not forget. I'm not going to purposely not bear someone's burdens or bear with them. But I'm just going to kind of avoid it. Right? I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to come to church on Sundays, uh, raise my hands, get whatever teaching comes forward. Um, but you know what? I'm going to kind of sneak out or go my own way. I might even attend community group. Um, I may say, yeah, this is a worthwhile endeavor. This is what Pastor Rod and Pastor Ryan have asked us to do. But I'm only going to, you know, be so transparent. I'm only going to be able to endure someone else's burden so much because, you know, that's just not me. But, Lord, I still love you. I still love you, right? But here, as Paul is saying, he's saying because of these things, because of all the things before, because of the love of the Lord, because of what... Or because of who and what we are in Christ, this should be the expectation. And that shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us that God has expectations on how we should treat one another. That should not surprise us. And we should also not be so cavalier and being able to dismiss these. And when I read these, and, and as I've been studying this for the last few weeks, I've come to the conclusion that these things are put here, and yes, they reminded me, but it also becomes something that I do a checklist on my life on. Am I forgiving people in the church that have maybe wronged me? Am I bearing with someone? It becomes an introspective um, process where I'm saying, am I doing these things? And if I'm not, why not? If I'm not, Lord, let it bother me. Don't let me just be so cavalier with what Paul is commanding us to do here and say, hey, I'm not doing this, but no big deal. I'm not sinning. I'm not stealing and I'm not lying. I'm not cheating. I'm not stealing. So if I'm not bearing with someone, so what? Big deal, right? But we can't have that attitude. We should be very, as, we should be very focused on our lives in Christ, but we should also be focused on how we treat one another, amen? And, and whether you think you should or not, Paul says we should. Not because I'm saying it or whoever else may be up here saying it. Paul says we should do this. The word of God says we should do this. So... How should we live in the church? If I had to give a title for the message, which I don't know if we put titles out there on the podcast, but if I had to give a title, it would be, how should we, leave, how should we live in the church? And that's important. And as I begin to think about this, um, 
I wanted to try to come with an example as far as it relates to how we should live in the church because of what God has done for us. And so, and, 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 and deal with the expectations of God. So the best one I have is, and, and I haven't been preaching, I haven't sit up and preached for a long time, and I think whenever I get up here, my wife and kids get nervous because I'm going to probably use them as an example, and I am. And my first example is with my kids. Um, so how should we live? So because my kids live with me, they do certain things, right? And because they live with me, some of the things they do are because I told them that's the way we should do it. Amen? I told them this is how you should treat your sisters, your mom. This is how, much, this is how you should respect your elders. This is how you should study. This is what time you should go to bed. And they do those things because I told them. And so, so some of the things that they do is out of me giving them commands to do, which is perfectly fine, and that is also what the Lord does. He gives us commands to obey. And then some of their behavior is based on how I've loved them. Amen? Some of their behavior is based on how I've loved them or how they've seen me love someone else or how they've seen me love their mom or how they've seen me treat others. Um, and, and I should expect that. I should expect that. I can remember being a kid and, um, you know, maybe I got in trouble, which I did often in school, and I can remember my mom probably saying something like, well, I didn't teach him that. that like, the, the behavior that I was displaying was not familiar to my mom because that's not what she taught me, and then I would bear the, the punishment of it, but, but she would say, I didn't teach him that, or I didn't teach you that. Why are you acting that way? And so some of the time, sometimes I, as a parent, I'm looking for their response, or I'm looking to see how they're living out their lives. Does it in any way emulate or mirror what I've told them? And they don't know I'm doing this, but I just like to see how they respond. And so one of the examples I have is, and, and I, I was sharing this with my wife last night, uh, Olivia and I were downtown at the, at the uh, Congress Center. It was a volleyball tournament, and we were there all day, and on the way back, the team would catch a train, and I forget, we would catch it to another stop that we had met at earlier in the day, and, uh, and then we, we would go home, so it was 7, 8 o'clock at night, uh, and we were on the train, and you know, you get various people on the train who get on, and they, if you roll the MARTA, they uh, uh, ask for stuff, they, they, you know, money or whatever, and so this guy gets on the train, and my daughter probably thinks this was so oblivious, like, my dad how does he remember this? And uh, he starts asking for money. And he had, you know, I could tell he had his, old, his entire speech prepared. It was very, you know, he, he had it down. And I, and I assumed he, had, he was used to doing this. And so he asked for money. And so I was standing up, and Livy was in front of me. And, and I'm just looking at, because, you know, it can kind of make you feel uncomfortable when that happens, right? And so I'm just standing there. And, uh, and I see Livy. She didn't have a job then, but, you know, she always has a little bit of money. And she reached in her pocket, and she gave the guy some money. Just a little small thing. And, and, and so I'm, you know, I'm just looking at this, and, and I'm like, that made me proud. Um, she, she's seen me do that before. They've seen me go through the drive through at McDonald's, get everyone a combo, pull up, and there's a guy laying on the sidewalk, and I reach over my daughter and roll the window down. I say, Jaden or Olivia, give him this. Give him my meal. They've seen me do that before. So when I saw her do that, I'm like, yes. She, she, now, 
she may say, Dad, I didn't do that because you do it. I'm, I just did it because I did it. And, and that may be true, but I would hope that my influence or her seeing me live out my life had an impact on her. Amen? So I say that to say, I, me and my wife have expectations of our kids, how they should live, how they should, how they should treat each other. And we should not be amazed that God has the same requirement. So when I look at the text, I'm not going to necessarily focus on every single one of these things. Meekness, patience, humility. We're familiar with these compassionate hearts, kindness, bearing with one another. I may focus on them a little bit, but forgiving one another. We know we should do those things because of Christ forgave us. But what I want to talk about in more detail is what is the church? How do we view the church? Because it is our view of the church that directly impacts how we view these things that Paul is telling us to do as far as acting and living out towards one another. So what is the church? Well, we've all heard it. The church is not the building, it's the people. And that is true. Jesus, as Simon, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And so from that moment on, we can look at the church and say, the church is the body of Christ. And, and these are going to be very simplistic definitions that we've all heard of before. But I want to I build up in our minds what is the church to see how important it is. It is the body of Christ. Christ is the head, and we are the body, right? We are these broken vessels of clay, as we were described in Corinthians, that God chooses to fill up and use us to be his head, to be his, he's the head, to be his arms, legs, and feet, to be that agent that goes into the world, and produces change for the sake of the kingdom, for the cause of the kingdom. The church is also the bride of Christ. So we use an, a, a marriage analogy there, but the church is the bride of Christ. So we are the bride, and he is the groom. And for those of us who are married or those of us who have seen someone get married or, or you know, just no married people, that's a very powerful example, right? I always, when I read that, I think about the church holding Christ's hand and him leading us down the aisle. And we're wed to him for life, right? We're wed to Christ not because of a ring or not because of a vow we, we, uh, we said. Our, our marriage to Christ is so sealed because Christ seals that. We never have to worry about him being unfaithful to us or being... Uh, or wavering in his love, he's constant. So as a man, as a husband, the Bible says that I should love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. That's powerful. That's, that's difficult. That is, that's weighty. That's heavy. I know that Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. And I know he loves it constantly. And when he, we say he loves the church, it, it may not be difficult. You, it may not be difficult for you to put this in your mind, but when he loves the church, when he gave his life for it, that means he gave his life for us, for each one of us in here, right? As we sing these songs and we lift up our hands and as the, the, the words of the song cause us to maybe shed tears or maybe just say thank you, Lord, or, or maybe give us goosebumps or make us feel, you know, overwhelmed with his presence, that same love that we're talking about in those songs that he did for you, he did for the person beside you, right? He did it for you. He did it for everyone in here. 
You're not special in that regard. He did it for all of us. So the same way you feel about him, you can imagine that how someone else feels about it because they're focusing on the same attributes that you are. Amen? So the church is the bride of Christ. And the last one, the church is the family of God. Right? We are God's, we are, we are brought together uh, in unity, people from all different places, and we are a fairly diverse church, right? All different backgrounds, economical, social, right? Geographical, racial. We've been brought together and united with Christ, and because of that union in Christ, we're united as a church. That's a great starting point. Our starting point is our union with Christ, and this church is his body, it is his bride, and we are the family. And so I, I'm saying these things, and I know they seem fairly, fairly elementary, but I want to make sure that we're always in our minds realizing that what the church really is, it's not a building. I know we know that. We, you know, I, I know we know it's not a building, but we tend to associate churches with locations and buildings, right? We tend to associate them with denominations, but we tend to associate a location. Um, not that we forget that the people are the church, but, but, but just reinforce it in your mind. The church are the people that Christ died for. He died for me. He died for Kendall. He died for Tiffany. He died for us. So the same love that you're getting from him, I'm getting from him. And everyone sitting around you is getting from him. So make sure you elevate Christ in your mind in the sense that the church is us. We are important. We feel important. As an individual, we feel important to God because we feel important. We you know, are in our own skin. We're in our own flesh. I'm important to God. And so is everyone else who's saved is important to God. Important enough for, Christ, for God to send his son who had done no wrong to die for. That's how important we all are. The church, the physical not the physical structure, but the people in the church. God gave the church leaders to equip the saints, us, the church, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. That's one of the things that not only did God send his son to die for our sins, and not only did God send his son to establish a church, he also gave us leaders and gave us a church structure to equip us for our Christian life. That's a very important endeavor. That is very important. The church is so important. We, these Christians, we're so important to God that not only does he bring us together through Christ, but he also says, I'm going to give you a structure that I'm going to give, that I'm going to lay out in my word, that's going to lead and guide you as you grow in your Christian life. That's, that's very important, right? Why, and why wouldn't he do that? It's his, it's his church. Why wouldn't Christ want a church that's equipping people? He, he, he cares deeply about what we're learning, about how we're seeing each other, about how, what we're doing, we're going out. He cares deeply about that. So in this church, we, these Christians, we worship together. We celebrate the Lord's death together. We celebrate baptisms together. 
we mourn when there's problems or when there's death together. Um, we do all these things together and the point I want to finally get to here as a regard, in regards to that is our attitude towards the church really is indirectly or directly is reflective of our attitude towards Christ. There's no, there's no way around it. There's no way around it. How seriously we take the church or each other and our work within it is really a reflection of how we view the head or the bride of the church. It is a reflection of how much of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ we have understood or experienced. And whether you're thinking about it that way when maybe you're doing something that's not according to the word towards each other, that's really what you're saying because the head of us, the head of the church is him. So as I treat you, it's really a reflection of how I view him. Now, as I was writing that statement, it was hard because it, it, it not only, I thought, wow, that, that's saying a lot, but it convicted me. I'm not, when I treat a member in the body of Christ wrong, I'm not just impacting that person. I'm really showing my attitude towards the Lord because he is the head of me and that person that I'm offending or that I'm not forgiving or that I'm not bearing with. He is the head of that person. He's head of both of us. Amen? So I'm really showing my attitude or what I've learned or how I view the love of the Lord. Now, what I'm saying is I'm not saying that because if we have a correct view of the love of the Lord, we're going to be perfect in the way we treat each other. Of course not. That's impossible. We're in our flesh. We're sinners. We're going to get it wrong. We are going to love each other wrong. We're going to do things in a certain way. We're going to bear, one, bear with one another and be compassionate with one another, but we're going to do it wrong sometimes. We're going to mess up. It's inevitable because we are in our flesh. Amen. But still we're commanded to do these things. So if how seriously we take the church is a reflection of how we view the head or the bride of, of the church, which is Christ. And if it's a reflection of how much of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ we have experienced or understood, then let's talk about the love of the Lord. Right? And I'm still dealing with these things that Travis read that we should put on as God's chosen ones, compassion in our hearts, kindness, humility, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you must forgive. And I, I mentioned this in my community group. If we just did those things, and, and forgive me, community groups, I told them, hey, I'm, I'm kind of, last week I was like, I'm kind of preaching my message whenever, when I'm talking about this stuff. But if we just put on compassion in hearts, and we were kind, and we were humble, and we had meekness and patience, and we were bearing with one another, if we had a complaint against each other, we were forgiving. If we could register that over everyone's head with a one to five meter, and if everyone was at a four, how great do you think this local church would be? Or if everyone was at a four and a half, if we were forgiving and bearing with one another, how great would the church be? It's already great because Jesus Christ is the head of it, but how much more effective will we be in our witness for the Lord based on how we treat each other? Amen? And those things seem so small. Before we go out on missions to go across the country, across the world, don't forget the church that you came from, those relationships matter. Because when you're going out and you're creating disciples and you're preaching the gospel to those who have never heard it, what you're, what you're doing 
is you're creating church members. Amen? So, so you can't just say, hey, well, I'm on the mission field. I don't have time. And no, when you're on the mission field, you are creating those people who will become part of the church. So we can't forget about how we treat and love one another. So back to my point, how we treat each other is a reflection of how much of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ we have understood or experienced. I'm confident right now if I ask anyone who is saved, who knows the Lord, that the one thing that you would say if I said, give me some attributes of the Lord, you would say he loves me. You would say that, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's part of our witness. That's part of the way I would venture to say that we uh, show people um, what it means for God to love us and to come to Christ. So we know that God loves us, right? We know that he loves us, and we know it either academically because we see it on the pages, or we know it because we understand the whole issue of sin and how it was impossible for us to be right with God and because it was impossible for us to do anything to be right in his sight. So we know that he loved us because he sent his son to die for our sins, and now I'm right with God. We know he loves us. But there are different degrees of that knowledge, and I'm going to get into that. There are different degrees of that knowledge, and what I want to do here is I want to give an example of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ directing or compelling us in certain situations. And I want to deal with it with Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is talking about his ministry, and he's talking to the Corinthian people, and he's, in essence, uh, talking to them about how and why he does things in the ministry, right? Why he does this, why he does that, and he says... He doesn't care what people think of him. He doesn't care if they think he's crazy or not, because all he wants to do is preach the gospel. And in verse 14, he says something in my mind that was very profound. In verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. So what he was saying was, hey, I'm this zealous for you. I'm this concerned for you. I'm this committed to you, these Corinthian people, because the love of God, the love of Christ controls me. It controls me. And I started thinking, is the love of God that he showed through his son controlling me? Does it influence me? And if it is influencing me, does it need to influence me more? Because as the love of the Lord, as the love of God that he showed us, ultimately through what his son did for us and dying on the cross, does that control me? Does the, does the Lord's love control me like that? Because it should. It should. Christ's love, which had converted Paul, now compelled him. His love converts us, but God wants it to get to the point where the love of the Lord Jesus Christ compels us. So what, what do I mean? Meaning that, when Lord, when I consider you, when I look up into the heavens and I look at how much you love me, when I see that coming down, when I consider that I didn't deserve it, not only should that make me go back to you and worship and praise you, but 
that's a vertical relationship, but it should also compel me horizontally towards my brothers and sisters in the church. Now, we know that, right? But does it do that? See, the thing when someone teaches you, has anyone ever been on YouTube and they've, you know, uh, pulled up any like kind of motivational videos? I, I, I have. I mean, some of those motivational videos are great. I mean, they're great. They say things, and, man, after you read that thing, you're fired up, man. You're ready to uh, go on take on the world or whatever issue you have. And have you noticed how quickly it wings after you turn it off? I, I'm not against, you know, motivation speakers. Those are great, right? But, but they're temporary, right? They're not going to, just as no preacher can preach to you enough and make you change, right? The one thing I say about preaching is that it's easy in this regard because as a preacher, and I'm not a preacher, so let me, let me step back. But as someone who occasionally gets to stand in front of people and talk about the word of God, um, the easiest thing to do is to point to Christ. That's the easiest thing to do and to not point to my persuasive words. It's easier to point to him because he has it all together. He is the source. He is able to do more than I can even ask or think. I'm just a willing participant in that. I just want to yield myself to be able to say something if it's my turn that would encourage us to look back to him because I know if you look back to him and not to me or not to Pastor Rod or Pastor Ron or whoever's standing before you, if you look to him, it's possible. There's hope in that. Amen? So, so when we talk about the love of the Lord and we use this example of Paul where the love of Christ compelled him to serve his brothers and sisters, we should want more of that. We should want more of the love of the Lord. Now, we already have a, the ultimate love of the Lord, right, by him dying for us. We, we have the, the love of the Lord in an infinite supply that's constantly being applied to our lives from a vertical perspective. And if my point in the message is that maybe we are not able to do these things in verse 12 through 17, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, if my point is is that we've not experienced enough of the love of the Lord, then how do we get there? That's, that's the next thing I would say. And, I, and as I was writing this, how do we get there? How do I get to the point where the love of the Lord Jesus Christ is more controlling in my life? And out of that control, it compels me towards not only to worship God, who is a source of that love, but it compares me horizontally to my brothers and sisters in Christ. How does that happen? So as we keep going down here, how do we experience more of the love of Christ? And how do we get a greater understanding? When I was a new Christian in college, I was in my early 20s, 20, I, I, may, I may have only been 20 years old. I got saved at a church, and um, I was a very analytical guy. I was, you know, I was, at the time, I was an engineering major, and I liked A plus B equals C. Um, and so one of the things that I was keenly aware of when I got saved was that I didn't know how to pray. All right, I, I was taught the Lord's Prayer as a little kid uh, by some family members, and that's pretty much all I knew. And even when I memorized that, I didn't know what it really meant, right? But I didn't know how to pray. And so as I began to read my Bible, my Bible initially, um, I would come across these prayers for Paul. I would come across them, and I'm like, wow, that is 
serious. And I and if you and I still have it somewhere, but my original Bible it was an NIV Bible, um, had very thin pages, and if you go through it, probably all the highlighting you see is of Paul's prayers. And I and and I, I thought they were so profound, and I and I used to memorize them. And I would pray them verbatim. I would just switch it up so, you know, it was like I was saying, but I would pray them verbatim. And I still do that. Because some of the things that he said and prayed for, I'm thinking, oh, man, this is profound. It, these are not prayers for that time. These are prayers for all time. Amen? Um, so one of the prayers he prayed, and this is specifically dealing with the love of the Lord, and I'm, and I'm talking about the love of the Lord controlling us and compelling us to be able to do the things that we read in the five verses in, in Colossians. In Ephesians 3, uh, chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, this is what Paul says, and he's talking to the Ephesian people. He said, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love, and this is the key verse here, 18 says, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's an incredible prayer. I pray this all the time. And what Paul is really saying, if I had to summarize it, Paul is praying that the people, that the Ephesian people would understand the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you mean understand? I understand the love of the Lord Jesus Christ is him coming down from heaven, dying on the cross for my sins. That is, that is his love. But what Paul is suggesting here is that God's love that he showed us through Jesus Christ is so compelling, it's so incredible that we have to pray to understand it. Does that make sense? that we have to pray to understand his love. And I, I, I think I said this in group last week, and maybe some of you don't agree with this, but I've never experienced any kind of love that I had to pray to understand. I love Tiff. My wife is on the front row. <laughs> I'm certainly that she would say she's never had to pray to understand my love. In a lot of cases, our love is selfish, right? We, we love because we get something and vice versa. And I'm not saying it's always that way. Sometimes it's selfless. But I've never had a love that I had to get on my knees and say, God, help me understand this love. Here Paul is saying that, that we would have the strength. So he's saying, not only do I have to pray to understand this love, but give me the strength to understand it. Because our minds are finite, right? We, we're always taking everything that the Lord says, and whether we, whether we realize it or not, we're filtering it through our own eyes, right? And we're, we're sinful. So when we look at this, and we look at what Paul is saying, we have to pray to understand the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to pray that God would show us greater degrees and greater dimensions of it. Amen? And... and, and it's not as if if you don't pray that, you won't experience the love of God because we experience it every day with him forgiving us of our sins and him uh, 
leading and guiding us and, and, and being the initiator and the performer of that initial sanctification and that continual sanctification in our life, that is God's love being constantly shown to us, right? We talked about that today in our equip class, sanctification. But Lord, I want to know more of your love that surpasses my knowledge. Not just so I can know and not so if I get in a room with Travis, I can quote more of this and quote more of that. No, so that it will change me. So that the more love I have from him, the more I'm changed. First, when I realize he loves me, the first thing it causes me to do is to worship him. When I realize he loves me, I thank him. But God never wanted it to stop there. When I see his love, when I experience a great degree of it, when it's something that I've read all my life or that I've heard all my life, and then the Lord shows me a different perspective of it, it causes me to worship him more, and by default, it will cause me to love my brothers and sisters differently. It's no way in the world it's impossible for us to experience the love of the Lord and not to change me in a vertical sense but in a horizontal sense. Amen? The Lord loving us changes us. It transforms us as far as how we view him, but it transforms us as far as how we view each other. Amen. And that's what's, and that is something we should desire. We should desire to be able, I started to hold this up as if you can read it, to be able to do Colossians 3, 12 through 17. We should desire to be able to forgive one another. We should desire to be able to bear with one another. We should desire that. We should desire to walk amongst each other as Christians with compassionate hearts, with kindness, with humility, with meekness and, and patience. And by the way, when it says bearing with one another, if you look that up in the underlying language, it really says to put up with one another. Now, that doesn't mean to put up you know, with obvious abuse or sin, right? That's a different category. But it means to put up with somebody, to put up with each other. Now, hopefully, the relationship doesn't stay in that, right? But it literally means when you bear with someone, you're bearing with them, you're putting up with them for the long haul. You are enduring with them, right? This is what bearing is not. This is what enduring is not. Well, and let me say this, because I, I, I do this as well. And I should say it this way. This is a small degree of bearing and enduring. I find out, you know, I'm brother or sister is going through a struggling and and, and it concerns me, and so I get their number, and I send out a text, you know, Jesus loves you. Or, you know, I send something that says, hey, I'm praying for you. That's not bad. That's not bad. That's a start, right? That's a start. Um, that's me maybe potentially bearing with someone, bearing their burdens. And I'm grateful for technology, but sometimes I think technology limits us. It, it makes it less personal, Right? And this is how I like to view bearing when you read it in the, when you read it in the under, underlying language and it talks about to endure, to stay with, to go through with. This is how I like to view it. Have you guys ever seen that, that video on YouTube where um, the, there is, I, I think it's the Olympics, but it's, a, it's an official race and the guy's running and he like blows out his hamstring or something and he starts limping and he starts crying. You ever seen that? And, and he's covering his face. And then all of a sudden, someone comes out of the crowd, and, and, and the security try to stop him. But he says, hey, I'm going out there. And, he, and the guy puts his arm on his shoulder, and he helps him run the race. And that, and that guy's actually his father, 
right? I never can watch that without getting emotional. And so he's bearing with, he's bearing with him, right? He's bearing with him. And I would say that's not, even a good, that's not even a good example. That falls short because here's what bearing is, bearing with someone. In that example, the son was running the race and the father was in the stands, but in our example, we're all running the race. We're all running this race, right? And we're all running this race, and we see each other. We see our lives. We see them to the degree, you know, the, sometimes we have a greater degree of interaction with each other than others, but we see us all running this race. And as we're running the race, you know, we're all running, we're all exerting time and energy, and we see one of our brothers or sisters stumble. They fall down. It could be self-inflicted. It could be, you know, it could be any number of things. It could be something that, that has come into their life that has caused them to have to, you know, uh, they, they fall down and, and, and then they're struggling. And, and bearing the burden is someone coming up alongside of them, even though they're running the race with them and they're trying to get to the finish line, helping them. That's bearing the burdens. It's not, oh, I got too much on my plate. I ain't got, you know, no, it's saying in spite of what I'm doing, dealing with, I'm going to bear with that person and endure with them in spite of. That's bearing burdens. That's what it means. It's not, hey, how you doing? Sorry to hear about that. I'll pray for you. That's a start. And I'm not knocking that. And what I'm also not saying is, is that, that doing these things, that bearing with people and that forgiving people is easy. It's not easy because many of us, we have different experiences, different backgrounds. It may be hard for some of us to forgive. That's a reality. I'm not saying this should instantly happen. It may be hard for us to bear burdens or bear with one another. Some of it could be because of what we experienced before we got saved. Some of it could be because of what happened when we were saved at another church. That something happened and it's hard for me to forgive. It's hard for me to bear with someone. So I'm never going to diminish the fact that this stuff isn't difficult. But it's required. It's required. And, and one of the great things about this, and we talked about this in the class today on sanctification, a lot of times when we are doing these things that Paul is saying here in verses 12 to 17, when we're endeavoring to put on compassion and hearts and kindness, and when we are endeavoring to bear with one another and to forgive one another, you know what we're really doing? We're really working at our sanctification. That's sanctification. Sanctification is becoming more like the Father. He initiates it, and we play an active slash passive role in it, right? But bearing with one another, how we treat one another, how we love one another, will produce sanctification. It will produce sanctification because when you think about it, and I'm focusing on bearing because that's one of the ones that I think is it can be tough for me to do because I fall short in these two. When you're bearing that burden, when you're doing any of these things, you know what it requires? It requires sacrifice. Don't ever think that the things that the Lord wants you to do should only be done when everything is perfect. When the kids are going to college, you know, when, I'm, when my schedule changes and I'm not working overtime, when, when this thing in my life is right, that's when I'll start doing these things. No, no. Because things will never be perfect for you to run along somebody and help, help them. We should expect that these things take sacrifice. They take sacrifice. You're not going to have a perfect world where these things become easier as it relates to your time. Right? The reason why we need to bear with one another is because if I'm bearing with you, I'm carrying your weight, so to speak. And I'm only human, 
that weight may get too heavy. And then I begin to fall and stumble down. And when I'm on my knees and I'm in that posture, it causes me, if I'm, if I, if I'm doing it correctly and if, I'm, and if I'm thinking about it correctly, it causes me to go to the Father and say, Lord, give me strength to not only deal with my life but to deal with theirs. That will cause you to become more like the Lord, depending on him, depending on him for your strength and your power. A lot of times, you don't need help if what you're lifting, or you don't, you don't think you need help when what you're doing or lifting is taxing you. Tiffany and I work out together now, and some of you guys have heard this story. We work out together more consistently than we used to, and so one of the things that she never used to do was she never used to work on the bench press because she was like, I'm a girl, I don't need to know how to bench press. And I'm thinking, yeah, Tiff, let's work on that. So we've been doing it consistently. And one of the things I laugh at is that sometimes when I'm working out, she's my spotter on the bench, right? So that, that tells you right there how much weight I'm lifting if she can spot me. But, but she's pretty strong. But, but she's bearing with me. She's bearing that weight with me. And I'll say, hey, Tiff, this is going to be pretty heavy for my needs your help. I need your help. I need you to come alongside. And I might be able to get three, but just in case I don't, I need you to stand right there with me. And that's me asking for it, right? That's me asking for it. Well, we don't always ask for help. Sometimes we're private, we're personal. So here's another example in the gym. I've been in the gym before where, and, and maybe some of you have done this, where I'll see a, an individual lifting something that appears to be very heavy, and as I'm going about my way, my eye stays on them just in case they need help. And that's happened, has happened before where the guy was struggling on the bench, and I saw he was struggling. No one was spotting him, but because I was watching him, I ran over without even being asked and helped him get the weight up. That's another way to bear. We should be watching. Where can I jump in? What do I know? What do I see where I can jump in and offer my services even when I'm not asked? Amen? That, that, that should be the mark of the church. The mark of the church, the way we perform, should be different than the world. It should be different than the world. If the world shouldn't recognize us, if someone walked off the street who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if they walked into our church service and they saw how we treated each other, and they concluded, yeah, I recognize that. That's how we treat each other. That's how we do it. You know, someone messes up, we give them justice. All right, we're done with you. I recognize that. I can fit in here because that looks very similar to how I operate in the world. That should never be the case. The world should come in here and look and marvel at the way we treat and love each other. One of the things I think right now, and I think about this a lot in the world, and I see it because when I'm on Twitter, I follow people that I agree and don't agree with. Like I, just, I just like to see how people react to things. But one of the things that I notice in our current climate, our current political climate, is in the world today, you know what most people want? They only want justice. They only want justice. When you, when you see things going on, someone does something wrong, justice. Cut them off. They're done. We're done with them. We're, you know, Let's move on to the next person. We'll look for things to find that were wrong, and they only want justice. And justice is a part of restoration because God got his justice on, on Jesus Christ when 
he got payment for his sins. He took it out on the Lord, right? So God does require justice as it relates to reconciliation. But we as Christians know, and this is just one example, we as Christians know that we can't just operate with each other solely based on justice. Because we of all people know that if we got justice only, we would be dead. Right? So in the church, when the world looks in and they take a glimpse, they visit, they see us, they watch TV, our light that's shining on the hill should not have the same effectiveness as their light. There's light in the world in the sense that there's a light showing you a way, right? But our light should, should be so different. It should be so illuminating that when they look at it and they compare, they see the difference. And they know that, hey, I don't know what it is, but the people, these Christians, these called out ones, these saved people, they don't act like I act. They don't respond to each other like I respond to. You know, it's funny. They have the same issues. They sin. They fall short. They offend each other. Although, as Christians, we should offend each other less and less as we grow. But look, they forgive. They forgive. When they see someone who's having an issue or a problem, they bear the burden. And they don't just say, hey, man, I've been doing this for a couple weeks. Now you're on your own. They don't give up. No, they stay there. And if they are having a difficult time bearing their burden, someone else runs up alongside and helps them bear that burden as well. It's not like what I'm used to. We should be different. And we should be looking at our lives to see if we are being different. One of the things I say a lot, if you stay around me enough, and I just said it in the quip class, and I didn't make it up. I, I don't know who, I don't know who uh, said it, but many logs burning together burn brightly, but if one falls off to the side, it quickly burns out. We were not meant to be Lone Ranger Christians. We were not meant to be separate. Our lives were not meant to be way over here. Yeah, I come to church, but my life is way over here. And as a matter of, as, as a purposeful act, if you're here and you go to this church, we give opportunities for us to bear burdens and to have patience, meekness, and kindness, and to forgive. And we give those opportunities through A, meeting together, B, small groups. Our small group, our community groups, is the per perfect, I like to call it the perfect lab to experiment with this stuff, right? Because the setting is smaller. And if that isn't enough, within the small group, you know what else we do? We do DNA groups. So for our particular group, we have group, and then we have DNA groups, and we separate it with men and women, and we, we do it, we've started to do it every time we meet, but now we do it and we meet outside and we, every month we meet and now it's just seven or eight of us men just sitting there talking and, and it takes time and effort. No one's going to just open up their life immediately, but as we grow with one another I, I, I said this, and I'm getting close to close, I, I said this we had a community group family night and we hadn't had one in a while and I said this I said, I said because I had to give a little speech, right? I mean, we, 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 we get together and we just eat and fellowship and have fun on a Friday night once or a few months, and we hang out, not too late, but later than we normally would. And I say, and I said to them, I said, my greatest fear is that we would have issues and concerns in our group and no one knows about it. Don't know why.
and, and even more. I, I don't know why my heart is built that way. Maybe that I've asked the Lord to show me his love. And equally as great, my greatest fear is that as a church, is that there are people who are sitting here that need, like Paul said in 12 through 17, they need someone to come to them with a compassionate heart, with humility, meekness, and patience, and to bear with them. To bear with them. There may be people in the church and maybe not this church maybe the church you came from that you need to go back and forgive right the lord knows that jesus is so concerned about that he said if you have all against your brother or your sister he said leave your gift at the altar and run to that person and make it right he is so concerned about our personal relationships amen we we it, we 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 should be concerned that there are people who are fellowshipping among us who are raising their hands and acting the appropriate church way. Everything's okay, because sometimes we think that that's the facade we should put on, that this is the last place that I should come in down and destitute and hurting. This is the first place you should want to come to, and it's the first place you should expect that there's someone here who's going to help me and meet me with this need. That should be our expectations, and it doesn't happen overnight. It does not. But my contention, and I hope I said it well enough here, is that if we experience more of the Lord's love, if we pray that the Lord will reveal it to us more, that the vertical relationship with God would be increased, our worship would be increased, but our horizontal relationships, left to, as you look to your left and to your right, that those would be changed that those would be changed. That should be our desire. This page in the Bible should not be folded up. This should be a barometer, a checklist. Amen? A checklist. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to close it. I'm going to pray. And, and after I finish praying, and when the musicians and the singers come up, this is my application. This is my application. Very simple. Um, I want to deal with each other horizontally and we've, we've done this before I, we do it every Sunday probably to some, to, to some degree or another but I want us to just look at someone on your left or your right and I want us to just pray for one another that's my practical application and if you're comfortable enough pull hands if you want to ask the person is there anything specific they want you to pray for and they may not and that's okay right but just pray with one another. Get into the habit of that. The, the, it's hard to commune. It's hard for me to pray with Tiffany, not pray in my car at work, but it's hard for me to hold their hand and pray with her and stay mad at her. It's hard. It's hard to pray with someone and commune with someone and your heart not be changed towards them. So That's very hard. So as a point of application after I pray and as the singers are singing before we do offering, I just want us to Look to your left or your right, someone you know or you don't know, and just hold their hand if, if that's okay. If you feel comfortable, if not, that's fine. And just pray for that person. You can ask something that they may be going through. And I want us to, as a church, to try to live out 12 through 17 and to admit, hey, this is difficult. 
I have a hard time forgiving. I have a hard time bearing with people. I have a hard time this that we take that to the Father and say, Lord, help me to do these, these things. Help me to see your church the same way as your son saw them. God saw the church before we were the church, but he saw us and he saw the state we were in and that we were lost and that we were going to hell and that there was no way we can get out. He saw that and he sent his son. That's how God saw us. Because when he chose us, he chose us before eternity's past. So in essence, in his mind in eternity, he saw us as the church before we even became the church because he anticipated our need. So when it says he chose us, he chose us out of love and he chose us so that we would become the church and that we, these broken vessels of clay, these sinners who God has redeemed, who still live in the flesh, who still have sinful tendencies, can still have enough of the Lord Jesus Christ to change them, that they can relate to one another and that they can do the things that Paul says in 12 through 17. Amen? So I'm going to pray and then as we sing our, our, our song before offering, I want us to just, like I said, look to your left or to your right and just pray with someone. Amen? Father God in heaven, um, I'm thankful for your love. Lord, we your people, we Lord who call on your name, who who trust in you for the forgiveness of our sins, Lord God, who, who know what it means for someone to love us unconditionally and, and that we see it through you, Lord God. We are desperate, Lord God, for more of your love. We are desperate, Lord, to see more of it, to experience more of it, Lord God, not to be puffed up and not to say, hey, I know more than you, but so, Lord God, we can worship you more because of what you revealed and that we could serve your church your saints, the people that you saved as well as ourselves, that we could serve them better. That we would, as Paul, say, Lord God, Paul said, Lord God, treat each other better than ourselves. That we would see the needs of others, Lord God, and not shy away and not run from it, but run to it. That we would anticipate needs, Lord God, that we, Lord God, with wisdom from you, Lord God, would be able to see our shortcomings in the areas of how we deal with our brothers and sisters, Lord God, and that we wouldn't ignore, but that we would go to you and say, Lord, change my heart, change my mind, change, Lord God, my attitude towards my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because, Lord, in and of our own strength, we will fail every time. But, Lord, with you, all things are possible. So, Lord, give us that mindset by your Holy Spirit. Work in us, Lord God through your Holy Spirit as you sanctify us to show a greater degree of love towards one another, to be an example of your son, Jesus Christ, to make the world walk in and look in and marvel and to ask the question, how do they love like this? How is this possible? I don't experience this. And if they ask us, Lord God, that that would give us the opportunity to point them to you because this is your work and we trust you to complete it to the end. Father, I ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.